Welcome to the ICU podcast. I'm your host, Callie, a registered dietitian living with interstitial cystitis. Each week, I'll be diving into hot topics in the IC world, giving others a platform to share their story, and I may even reveal some of my favorite nutrition tips. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back. Today, I have Mia Fine with me. Mia is a sex therapist, but I don't want to steal her thunder. I would love it if you would introduce yourself, Mia. Sure. Thanks, Callie. And thank you for having me. My name is Mia Fine, and I'm an ASECT certified sex therapist and an ASECT certified sexuality uh, educator in Washington State. My license is in marriage and family therapy. Okay. So <laughs> I already have a question. What is ASECT? Yes. ASECT is, uh, it's the acronym that stands for A-A-S-E-C-T, which is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, uh, um, Therapists, and Counselors. And I mean, counselors and therapists. So check it out. It's like a wonderful organization that certifies folks who are um, in the sexuality field, takes a lot of training to do that. And for folks who are medical professionals, such as like nutritionists, physical therapists, ARNPs, docs across the board, those fall under counselors in ASEC. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I literally thought you said a sex and I was like, Oh, is this something that I don't know about? <laughs> a, a, um, well, there is asexuality and aromantic, a which we can talk about for yeah. sure. But, um, ASEC is that acronym and it's, a, it's really wonderful. So for folks who are looking for a sex therapist, you can check out aasect.org and look at your region or your state. And there will be a list of certified sexuality professionals who are located near you, especially for folks with IC, pelvic floor pain, any sort of sexual health concern, um, which is what we're going to talk about today, you can check out ASECT for therapists in your area. Awesome. I love that there's a tool for that. So I'm really excited to have you on. I mean, I think I reached out to you like three months ago and you were super booked out, but I'm so happy we're finally talking. I am just excited to hear, you know, your answers and your opinion and your professional advice on a lot of the things we're going to dive into. So let's start out with the simple question, maybe not simple, but what does a sex therapist do? Yes. So we work with folks who are coming to work with us on uh, sexuality issues, sex, intimacy, and relationships, right? So that's how I identify as as a professional who works with sex, intimacy, and relationships. So people who are seeking support with navigating a sexual health concern like I see, right, or any sort of pelvic floor pain, erectile dysfunction, any sort of sexual health concern across the body, um, low desire, orgasm, low interest in sex, uh, desire discrepancy when it comes to relationships. Then we also work with LGBTQIA plus folk who are um, exploring potentially gender or sexual orientation or relationship orientation. So non-monogamy or kink across the board. So we do a lot in sexual trauma as well. So in my practice and the, the folks who work at our collective are all trauma-informed therapists. So we utilize different modalities and theoretical frameworks that are client-centered and keep that, that care really unique to the individual. Okay. So 
if a patient with IC comes to you, what does that look like working with you? Yeah. So I've worked with um, a number of patients with IC and looks across the board. So they may reach out to me via my website and we'll set up a consultation call to make sure we're a good therapeutic match. It's a complimentary call, 20 to 30 minutes. You know, they'll share a bit about what they're experiencing, um, whether it's individual therapy or relational therapy with a partner. And then if we decide we're a good match, then we dive into work together. And what that looks like is uh, we'll have an initial session going over some intake, you know, process documents and and all of that, um, gathering info. And then I do what's called a sexual biography session. The best way I like to explain it is going back to childhood and drawing a genogram, which is a visual representation of a person's family of origin, who were the major players, who were their primary attachment figures, their role models. And then we work our way through their life and we explore who taught them about sex and who taught them about their bodies and who taught them about pleasure, who taught them about relationships and uh, meaning making. Same thing with gender. Uh, and, and part of that is weaving in the IC story, right? So when did they first note that this was happening, right? How did, when did they first start to feel pain or concerns of their bladder? What was their medical history like? Who supported them? And then depending on what reasons they're, you know, coming to work with me, because all, you know, sex therapists who are uh, based in sexual health, not all of us do sexual health concerns, but this is definitely an area of focus for me. I will encourage collaboration with, with a client, with a release of information from them and their interest in me collaborating with their other providers to talk with their urogynecologist or their pelvic floor PT and have a collaborative care team that's pretty holistic. And we will support each other in supporting this patient in their process and healing. And a lot of the work we do is around shame we as in sex therapists. So I'll help a client navigate shame, the type of sex they want to have, exploring their sexual script, expanding sex and the definition of sex and and identifying also options for them when it comes to pain and treatment and how to support them in in their work with their pelvic floor PT or urogyne or ND, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. I'm particularly interested in how you work with the pelvic floor PT. Very closely. Actually, there are a handful of wonderful pelvic floor PTs in the Seattle or across the water area in in Washington. And so what we'll do is often um, what we'll definitely sign a release of information like, you know, patient will say, yeah, absolutely. I want you to collaborate with my PT and I'll hop on the phone with them. And uh, I'll ask questions about how to support, whether that's with dilators or with a SOLA treatment or Botox, if that's being done with a, a different physician, right? I'll share about emotional components that come to this. Like they're, they're, And again, it's all with the patient's consent. So there's some info that a patient may not want me to share, and I 100% honor that. And there's some information that the patient might find helpful for their public floor PT to know, like right now we're navigating shame when it comes to X, Y, or Z, or right now we're working on the relationship with their partner and how their partner can support them as they're moving through certain exercises, public floor exercises, or understanding that the partner's not causing this pain, right? And sometimes the partner can feel feel uh, deep concern and fear about causing pain or exacerbating that pain. And so they are reluctant to initiate 
intimacy of any kind. And that can cause some big relationship concerns. Um, And sometimes even the partner may start to experience sexual dysfunction in their own, right? So there's a lot of, there are moving parts to this system. And it's a sincere honor that I get to be a part of this healing journey with folks. Did that answer your question? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, absolutely. You're giving me so much useful information that I feel like I'm just in my head popping up with so many different questions that I already have outside of the questions that I already wrote down for you. So I'm just going to do my best to sift through the most important ones and prioritize those. I guess I want to know how many of your patients with IC have their, their partner, their spouse involved in the process of working with you? It depends. So if a patient is coming to work with me individually, Sometimes with the patient's interest, right, we, you know, the patient will invite their partner into a session or two or three. That partner is not my client. They're there to supplement therapy. They're there to support. They're there to learn. And they're there to ask questions. And other times uh, a patient and their partner are my client. So if the relationship comes in, like person A and person B, and one person has IC and the other person is partner without IC, then that is my client. That relationship is my client. So it really depends on who is presenting for therapy. I don't tend to work with an individual and then their relationship because I'm a human and we align with our patients, right? And we know one person's story unless the client together and the relationship together is my client. So that brings up another component here is that oftentimes if I'm working with somebody individually, I will recommend that they work with another therapist for relational therapy. And then I will also collaborate with that other therapist to make sure that the whole system is getting that support. Right. Okay. So for people experiencing pelvic pain, just how do you work with them in general? Because I know sex is a huge part of being a human. And I don't know if that statement is ignorant or, you know, anything like that. But do you understand what I'm asking? I think so. I think I hear two things. I hear how do I work with people presenting with sexual pain? And then I hear that second question of is, is sex a big part of being a human? And for many people, sexuality is inherent, right? Inherent in, in most human beings. And some folks fall, you know, we all have different sexualities. Every human being has a different like sexuality makeup, if you will. And some folks are asexual and or, and or aromantic. And that's, you know, maybe podcasts for a different time, which you know, <laughs> happy to explore because that could also be a sexuality of somebody with IC. Um, and then other folks are presenting who are in same sex relationships or varying genders. It depends. Um, so when it comes to sex, yes, we are all hardwired for intimacy and pleasure. Human beings are hardwired for intimacy and pleasure. That is very unique to the person though. So again, what intimacy means to each person is like, again, I get to explore that with patients about what do you, what does, how do you define sex? How do you define intimacy? And let's expand these definitions and explore all of the beautiful ways that people can engage in intimacy, whether it's experiential intimacy, right? Doing things together or emotional intimacy or physical intimacy across the board. There, there are so many different ways that we can explore um, and experience intimacy. 
and sex. Okay. And then that first question was, how do you, how do I work with people um, who come to me with, with pain? And it really depends on what the person's presenting with. I often will, well, I, in, in intake, I will explore where pain is located on or in the body, right? When it comes to the physical or the somatic. And then uh, when there's pain, I ask, who else are you working with? Who else is on your care team? And if there isn't anybody, then I I will refer to the folks in my network who I trust and adore and collaborate with often. And then together, we'll support this patient with whatever it is that they're presenting with vulvodynia, vaginismus dysprunia, right? I see it's across the board. And as I imagine, you know, it's like a Venn diagram. So once someone's presenting with sexual pain, oftentimes orgasm is impacted. Oftentimes interest and arousal are going to be impacted. And so the way I'm kind of, as you see, doing this with my hands, right, is this overlap (laughs) of like different circles to create this Venn diagram and a perfect storm, right? We add in anxiety, right? We add in fear of pain. And this is what a sex therapist gets to work with is how folks manage and how, and then the process of treating. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like it absolutely is individualized based on, you know, what the patient is going through and their history and their specific pain slash other symptoms. So do you experience a lot of people who have IC and also have a low sex drive or is that more uncommon? No, it's definitely common. Um, I, I don't know if I have statistics for that. Uh, however, if a person is, is experiencing pain when they're having, should be an experience of pleasure, right? And connection and what, how, whatever is motivating them to have sex, right? Um, that is going to likely impact the desire, for sex. So desire, interest, and arousal are all different. And I explore that psycho ed in, in my work with folks. Um, you know, it's, if we are afraid to have sex because we're going to feel pain, that's going to impact desire. It's going to impact the physiological arousal, and it's going to impact the, again, that process toward orgasm. Mm-hmm. That's where they're all interrelated. What we um, know in, in the DSM, which is Diagnostic Statistic Manual, right, is that FSIAD, female sexual interest and arousal disorder, falls under basically there's GPPPD, right? Uh, the genital pelvic pain and penetration disorder, female sexual interest and arousal disorder, and orgasm disorders. And all of those are going to be related. And so part of what you know, my job is, is to help a client, a, a, you know, a patient parse out what is what, and then how do we heal that? Mm-hmm. So what does that healing process look like? Uh, a lot of explore, exploring um, arousal, you know, uh, what feels good, you know, what doesn't feel good, a lot of agency work. Like I like to invite awareness that autonomy is what's in this like hula hoop here of the body, right? This is ours and agency is what we do with it. And that leads into discussion around consent, leads into discussion around communicating. What kind of sex do you want? Right? Like what do you, what does pleasure feel like in your body? What pleasure are you looking for? And oftentimes people don't have the language for, oh yeah, I like blank, right? Or I really like when my partner does this. 
or in solo sex, masturbation, self-pleasure, it really like this, these are my fantasies. So these are areas that I explore with people. We don't, we're not socialized in this erotic, erotophobia that we have in this culture. It's very erotophobic, right? Fear of sex culture. We're not taught to know our body. We're not taught to know what we like. And so a lot of the work I do is to help people explore what it is that they do like and what they don't like, and then to communicate that with their partners. So maybe it might be parallel masturbation or or side-by-side sex, right? And exploring different um, sexual health products or pleasure products that do work for people or don't, right? Or fantasy or um, additional opportunity for connection. Sensate focus is a a phased process of integrating sex through touch is kind of how I'll, I'll kind of describe it so much, or um, inviting the wheel of consent, Betty Martin's process of, may I touch you in this way for three minutes? Will you touch me in this way for three minutes? And that helps um, A, with consent and also communication about what feels good and what doesn't feel good. So it's a joining process and an awareness and noticing what's happening in the body. Yeah. And I feel like, and I could be wrong, but a lot of people with IC or pelvic pain or any sort of like sexual dysfunction, we experience a feeling of like a loss of control with mm-hmm. things happening in our body. Like we have a chronic illness that there's a whole lot of question marks about. We don't have a lot of evidence or research or a cure. So I feel like we lose a lot of control there. And that can, I think, spill into relationships and intimacy sometimes. Big time. Absolutely. Right. And that's control and agency. So that brings up a really that beautiful point of like, what do we have agency over? Mm-hmm. Where, where does our agency fall? Right. What's important to a person um, listening to the body when you have to go to the bathroom, right. Listening to the body when you have those urges, like there's so much, we are not taught to listen to our bodies. We're just not taught um, and so, again, the, that goes back to those, that sexual biography, the messages about who taught you X, Y, and Z. What did they teach you? What did you learn? You know, so a lot of people have experiences that aren't so great. Like maybe they were like shamed when they were younger or just going through their teenage years. Like there's a lot of experiences that can shape a person. I mean, I know personally, like I've experienced things like that and yeah. it made me not want to talk about things or, you know, experiment with things going into adulthood because there was that element of shame there still. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened. And Callie, like not surprised, unfortunately, right? This is human beings like experience trauma and shame on a regular basis. Again, the space that like I I get to co-create with a person is around how do we heal from that shame? And it's like that incredible sentence, that quote of shame dies when stories are told in safe places. Right. I love that. It, it, <laughs> like, this is it. Right. Is like, and so that's what I get to do is help identify, Oh, like that, that shame. And how do we, how do we get to clean that piece up? Cause that, how is that serving you? And it's really a delicate process. There's not, it's a slow, intentional process where the therapeutic relationship is paramount. Like I, I, you know, it's essential for clients to feel safe with me 
and the, and the, you know, my colleagues, the folks, other folks I work with, um, because this is where that healing is. We heal in relationship with other people and the therapeutic relationship is a place where people can talk about the most intimate of lived experiences with another person who's holding that space with intentionality and deep care. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's movement. Right. And then there's, there's healing and growth. And one of the reasons I love, love working with sexual health is because I see change happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't tell you the joy. I, I'm going to like get a little bit emotional thinking about this, but like regularly receiving an email from a client who's graduated from therapy and said, Mia, like I'm pregnant right? Or me, I just found somebody I'm having orgasms within this partnership or like two years down the line, I just wanted to pop in and say, thank you. Because at the end of our work together, they're not feeling sexual pain anymore. There's no other job for me. This is it. Like, this is my vocation. I love it so much because this is working with people in their own healing. This is a co it's a co-creation of a relationship where people start to learn themselves and have this incredible, start to have an incredible quality of life that I think every human being deserves. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so obvious to me that you chose the right career path. Like it, it is awesome to see. And I, I love it. I really do. And I could just see the joy on your face. I wish everybody could see it. Yeah, that's total honor. It, it yeah. is a complete honor. I told you, I'm like a total sex nerd and a hu- I just love humans and like the fact <laughs> that we can actually heal. There's nothing like it. There's like, it's just the coolest thing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, you definitely need that element of trust with your clients because they're going to most likely be uncomfortable opening up about all of this, especially since it's just not a norm in our society. And I feel like that relates to IC because it affects our bladder. It affects our pelvic floor and it's all in that reproductive organ area. And I feel like we don't get that much awareness because people are afraid or uncomfortable talking about it. Mm -hmm. That's erotophobia, right? And people are afraid of what they don't understand. And that keeps people from exploring further, right? There's that piece of the impact of partners, right? The impact on partners. And when we, when we have a barrier to communication with a partner, that keeps us from intimacy. When we can't be vulnerable with a partner, we don't get intimacy with that partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it sounds like intimacy has a lot of different layers to it. Yeah. Big time. Big time. So that's, that's really, it's a feedback loop, right? It's a feedback loop of, of cause and effect, right? And, and when, when one person is rightfully very afraid of sharing in any way, right? With a partner, that partner learns, oh, there's certain things that are off the table to talk about. And so that can impact intimacy. And again, there's no like one way around this, right? Every Every patient is unique and we explore um, what, you know, the factors to intimacy that 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 person is is experiencing. And also, you know, the barriers to discussing things with with people. People have medical trauma. You know, there are people who uh, come to me with medical trauma more frequently than not. And so there's that additional 
talking about agency, additional component of the gift I have to like help a person write down a list of what they're going to bring to their medical provider or go with them to the medical, you know, appointment, right. Or go to them with a, I've been to pelvic floor PT appointments before with my clients. That's Same thing awesome. for your gynecologist, right? Like I, you know, pre-COVID, right? When it was safer to do all this, I absolutely went to them. And uh, that's, to me, that's absolutely collaborative care. And then teaching for physical therapist organizations like Herman and Wallace. And, and those PTs are learning about how to interview their patients for sexual health concerns. So, you know, all of these fields, again, I'm really hopeful that, like that, we are moving in, into a space where people are talking about sex uh, more and in, in, in more depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it needs to start earlier in our lives. Like at, I don't, I don't know what level you think or what age would be appropriate to start talking about it. Yeah. And it's not a one-time conversation. Like I recommend when parents start talking, when kids can start talking, right. Or identifying a body part like teaching a child what their body parts are and that body parts are for pleasure. Right. And then we, you know, of course, like what you do share with other people and what you don't and how to protect the body. But oftentimes it's like, Oh, well, when did you have that birds and bees convo with your kid? Right. Oh, this one time when they were 15, that's way too late. Right. Like, and like, what are birds and bees? Right. Let's talk about what body parts actually are and having that be an ongoing conversation with people like a a parent having ongoing conversation with their kiddos, a invites, there's nothing you can't talk to me about. If a child can talk to their parent about sex and their body and pleasure and pain, they can talk to their parent about anything that creates a safe space. And it's an ongoing conversation because it's not like just an hour when someone's 15, right? Before they start having sex or before like learning about condoms. And that's the only time a child is going to have questions. No, that doesn't make any sense, right? So like having the convo early on, a couple of years old, having the books. My friend Corey Silverberg has a couple of really good books out there on um, sex is a funny word is one of their books. Uh, Sonia Renee Taylor has a book there. There are some really wonderful books that are available for um, parents, for kids. Uh, I really love uh, Kristen Hodson's um, Instagram for, for families. Sex positive families is really wonderful. I don't work with children. I work with adults who are having these convos with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember in middle school, like all my friends were reading that American girl book or whatever the heck that was that taught them about their body and everything. Do you know the book I'm talking about? I don't know, <laughs> but I would, we got to look it up after this. I, know. We'll up. I, I wish I knew it. the name of it. It was yeah. Like American girl something. Mm. And it, I just remember that all my friends had it and I didn't, and I felt kind of jealous about it. And, you know, it just, it, middle school was an experience. Let's keep it at that. (laughs) Right. But even that feeling of other, like, oh, why are, why are my friends parent? Like, why are my friends having, getting to have this book? Right. Of course, that's a natural, very 100% natural for you to have wanted that info. We all deserve sex ed. All human beings deserve sexual, sexuality education about our bodies, about, you know, what's happening with us. Um, And when we don't have that, that's a message in and of itself, 
right? Like when a parent doesn't talk to their kid about sex or kids don't get it in school or wherever they're receiving or not receiving sex ed, the lack of information is a message that this is an area we can't talk about. And again, that's a barrier. That's a barrier between parent and kids. And same thing for intergenerational stuff, right? Those messages, like parents learn from their own parents we don't talk about sex and then we get into culture and we get into religion and all the messages that come from that. And this is again, what sex therapists get to do with our, with our clients, with our patients. Yeah. I can imagine there's so much that you can do with your patients and talk about sift through experiences that they had. That's amazing. I'm, I'm just in awe of you and your work. I guess I want to kind of pivot and turn it more towards you know, things that would be helpful for the listeners or the IC community pertaining to sex and intimacy. So, you know, so if somebody has a, a low sex drive or a low desire, what do they do if, if they want to want to have sex or want that intimacy? Totally. So I love Emily Nagowski's book, Come As You Are. That is a book I recommend for Every human being who has a vulva or who is partnered with someone with a vulva, Come As You Are by Emily Nagelsky. She also has a workbook that I I will scan and send to clients different pages in it or send them uh, worksheets on sexy context and not so sexy context. And then we look at what are contexts that work for you sexually? What helps get you onto that on-ramp? What are the contexts that turn you off? right? We talk often about accelerators and brakes. Accelerators are the components, the things that turn people on. And the brakes are the things that turn us off. And that's going to be, they're going to be a lot of um, overlap with with people and also a lot of uh, differences, right? So this is called the dual control model too, right? So accelerators, those things that turn us on could be certain fantasies, certain touch, kissing, It could be uh, an environment that is um, warm and comforting, soft music, a partner who did the dishes, right? Like certain certain pieces that wearing lipstick, right? A certain outfit, something that be taking a shower, not, you know, and then the, the breaks are things like stress. We got a lot going on in 2022. Last couple of years have not been very sexy, mm-hmm. right? And so let's identify what the stressors are. What's tur- what are the turnoffs? The dirty dishes, the screaming kid, the the pets, right? Maybe the barking dog, right? The um, the noise outside, you know, messy bedroom, right? Laundry all over the place whatever, right. right? Stress at work. And that gives me information about transition from work to, you know, pleasure time or sex time or like intimacy time. Right. And then we look at transition. And the the idea is, is that we can put our foot on the accelerator. We can put like candles everywhere and all this music and we could do clean, clean the the bedroom up or whatnot, you know, even going on vacation. But if the foot is on the brakes, we're not going anywhere. So a lot of this work is around managing stress. How do you take care of yourself? How's your partner showing up for you? Partner showing up, right? So um, there's that work too. So contexts that create desire, contexts that create um, intimacy. We talk about um, inhibition, excitation. And again, big time is stress management and quality of life. 
How are you, how are you caring for yourself as a foundation? What's communication like in your relationship? Awareness of pleasure. What does feel good? How do you talk about it when things don't feel good? Then I could get into polyvagal theory, fight, flight, freeze, fond, dissociate. When we get activated, what happens to us? How do we talk about it? Or how do you notice when you start to feel pain? Mm-hmm. Right? And then even like, let's say your, your intimate things are going really well, like with a partner with maybe it's a newer partner. Let's go with that newer partner. Things are going really well. You're kissing, they're touching you, you're touching them. And all of a sudden you have to pee, right? Mm-hmm. How does your partner respond to that? That says a lot, mm-hmm. right? That's going to give you information about how safe you feel emotionally, right? If they're like, oh yeah, go ahead. Cause we, a lot of us have, go pee during sex. It's great. Right. Like get up, go to the bathroom, right. Take care of your body, come back. Right. And then how do you get back onto that on-ramp? How your partner responds to that is going to give you information about the safety in a relationship, the emotional safety there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said a lot there. <laughs> a lot of- Good information. I think that a lot of people with IC struggle with that low desire or that low sex drive and then having a partner who has a high desire and high sex drive. And do you have any advice for those people who are experiencing that? Yeah, absolutely. So we talk often about, again, the desire discrepancy. So in every dyad, there is going to be one person who has a higher desire, wants sex more frequently, wants, you know, whatever, right? And one person who's going to have lower desire. It's just, that is because of two people, right? Even two people who have super high desires, both of them, one is going to have a greater, right? So um, I love this when folks present with this, because again, it's about expanding the sexual script. Well, what does sex mean? What does it look like? Does it only look like, you know, for a heterosexual, a cis heterosexual couple, penis and vagina sex intercourse? Is that what it is? Okay. Are there, are there, is there an opportunity here to expand, right? What else could be on this sexual menu? Do you always want to go to the Italian restaurant and get spaghetti and meatballs, right? Or are there tons of other restaurants that you can go to and explore the menus there too, right? Meaning let's expand what's on this list, right? And I love writing down all the ways human beings have sex, they may for be for you. They may not be for you, right? And so with clients in session or out of session, between sessions, I'll invite them to do this at-home exercise and then come back with like a Google Drive list of all the ways people have sex. And then we write out, okay, what are what's on your want list? What do you want to explore with your partner? What are things that are like, hell yes, is for you? And then what are things that are on the will list? I will do this. I'm willing to do this given a certain context when we're on vacation, right? Or if the kids are at a sitters or with the parents or something, right? And then these are things that are on the won't list to help us identify where things fall and people can move them, right? They can move around, but doing a want, will, won't list, um, exploring needs and desires, okay? Oftentimes people want to balance that checkbook. Okay, this person had an orgasm, so that means that person has to have an orgasm. And I explore, where did you learn this? Right. That you had to balance this out, right? Who here actually believes that, right? And if neither person, so then there's exploration around meaning making. What does it mean to you? And then we go into guilt and shame. There's so much expansion here, if that answers your question. So desire discrepancy is 
uh, a big one that I work with. Um, uh, a lot of the time it's around psycho, what helps with this is psychoeducation and exploring meaning making and expanding the sexual script, communication around desires, right? What is, what is it that you want to feel? Are there alternative ways to get to these feelings? Okay. Like, are all of those things ways to get somebody with a low sex drive to increase it? Or are you saying meet them where they are? Meet them where they are. Okay. So meet people exactly where they are. And often, Kelly, like what I see is when a dyad comes in, one person has low desire and the other person has high desire. The low desire person feels shame. They feel like something's wrong with them. They feel like they're broken. And the high desire person also feels like something's wrong with them. They're shame. They're broken. Yep. That, you know, I'm going to open you up into my relationship with my boyfriend, but we, we have like that exact situation. And there, there are times when I think to myself, oh, I can go months without ever having sex or penetrative sex or anything like that. And then if I try to communicate that to him, he sometimes takes it in a way that he starts thinking, oh, is there something wrong with me? Am am I not attractive enough? And I feel like the only way to get through that is, is communication. So that's something that I've experienced, but I know that so many people that I've talked with in the IC community also experience. It's just that feeling that you can't please your partner in the way that you think they want to be pleased, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning making. This is what I do. There are a million questions I would ask you and your boyfriend if we were in sex therapy together to gather information and co-create a space where you can talk about these things and then move forward. And that's what therapy is. I want to like completely affirm that your story is like many of the stories of patients who come work with me. This is it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. People eat, both people think that they're broken and they're meaning they're ascribing meaning to it and then feeling internalizing that. And then it becomes a belief mm-hmm. is what we think then become, becomes how we feel becomes a belief. Right. Yeah. So yeah, this is, this is what a sex therapist gets to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's a lot of people who post in Facebook support groups for IC just talking about how, you know, they've been with their, let's say, husband for 30 years and, you know, they developed IC a few months ago or something. And and that husband just isn't understanding is some people find that their partner, their spouse doesn't handle it well. And I feel like there's a whole lot that we can unpack with that, but it could just be, you know, a lack of communication and, you know, just different beliefs. And I feel like I'm going off on a tangent here and I don't even know where I'm trying to reel it back into. (laughs) I don't think it's a tangent at all. I think it's you going a step further in that it is about the partner's experience. I work, it brings up defensive, right. Being, being defensive. And especially if this is happening later on in life to somebody, it's going to shift the relational dynamic and a partner may feel like, Oh, why is this happening 30 years in? 
is there something wrong with me? Or is my partner not attracted to me, right? Am I doing something wrong? Is it because, you know, we're older and uh, erections don't work the way that they used to, or lubrication isn't the way that it used to be, right? So there's meaning making, people fill in information to the gaps in our awareness, right? We have a question instead of talking about it in ways that are um, constructive, we just fill in information and make assumptions. And then we do mind reading, which human beings are terrible mind readers. So if I were working with a couple who was experiencing that, we would go into what each partner, what, how they were making meaning around this, right? And a lot of what I continue to call psychoeducation about the body and about interest, desire, and arousal and how they're different, we talk about come as you are the book. And I have, you know, as you know, I'm a, I'm a resource nerd and I've got lots and lots of resources and exercises to offer folks in between our sessions, if they're motivated to do those, right. Or in our work together. So there's a lot of really beautiful work for each person, but it can create a distance in a relationship and exacerbate shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Shame is a huge emotion for so many people in this community. It's it's really sad to hear some of the stories that I hear. As I said before, I've experienced some of that. I always want to help in any way that I can, but I, I realize that I'm not really qualified for that. So that's why I'm really glad that you know, you're here, you're helping educate people on how to navigate these things and opening people's minds up to the world of sex therapy. And I honestly, before I followed you on Instagram, I didn't know that sex therapy was a thing, really. I, I mean, I saw it on one TV show one time. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe <laughs> they have those. But I didn't yeah, realize it's- how important it is, especially in the IC world. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, I'm, and vice versa, right? Learning about there are awesome nutritionists who like have lived experience, who get it from both and right, both directions of the educational piece and lived experience that all that gives like, that's so much wealth right there of like info of compassion. Right. And then this also is like a beautiful reflection a of the ways that social media can help us, right. Can help people and like sharing of resources and collaboration. Like I, again, like I have six, seven, maybe 10 pelvic floor PTs who I trust like 100% with clients, right? And who I'm going to, hey, you know, Darshan, I'm going to send you someone. Holly Tanner, I'm going to send you someone, right? Kate, someone's coming your way. And then clients are like, okay, like we trust Mia. Let's go see if this pelvic floor PT or nutritionist or urogyne or naturopathic doctor is going to be a good fit for us too, Right. And that's where collaboration is essential was a lot of us offer sliding scale if we don't take insurance or, you know, pelvic PT every other week or once a month. Right. People are, you know, a lot of us are very full. And when we're full, we are going to refer to other people we trust. Finding providers who are trauma informed is essential. It's really essential. Like our team is getting trained in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing right now to navigate the way that trauma can live in our bodies, EMDR, for folks who are want to research what EMDR is. And we're anti-racist and creating those like that safe spaces of for folks who are are marginalized to come in and and hopefully feel safer in our space. 
So, you know, the people I work with at our, at the PNW sex therapy collective are trauma informed. They like care deeply about their patients. We offer workshops all of the time. Maybe Callie, we can talk offline about you offering a workshop to the folks that are collective from a nutrition perspective. Yeah, absolutely. We're all about collaboration. And I feel really grateful, especially in Washington and the Pacific Northwest, to really have people who are um, seeking the most innovative treatments like Sola therapies, right? Botox. Like there are treatment options out there that may work for some folks and may not work for others. Um, and we are we are a community that shares resources and uplifts each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's difficult to find good IC providers. In my experience and in experiences people share with me. So it's great to hear that you are doing that collaboration and you're encouraging that. I think everybody could benefit from that. Absolutely. And there's a piece here about not educating your provider, right? So finding providers who do this work and are constantly seeking additional workshops and training because the learning is never complete. We are never done learning. I always love to tell my supervisees this, as long as I'm working with human beings, I will be in supervision. I'll be in consult groups. I'll be doing workshops. I'll be taking workshops. I love educating because it keeps me on my toes. I got to know the like most recent stuff, right? right? I love it. I love it so much. And it's a feedback loop because then I get to share information with providers who then implement that in their practice and that systemic change. It's just the coolest. So, okay. Well, do we have a little bit of time for a few questions from the listeners? Sure. All right. Perfect. So first, um, and I'm going to keep everybody's names anonymous, but someone asked, how can you have pleasurable sex with IC and vulvodynia? That's going to be unique to the person. I love Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent, um, starting with the three-minute game. You can Google it, YouTube it, but it invites it starting small, right? So vulvodynia and IC is like where that Venn diagram overlaps, right? And so again, that's going to be unique to each person. So exploring ways that people can start to feel pleasure from like the bottom up of their body or the top down of their body or different locations, exploring self-pleasure, what feels good during self-pleasure, teaching your partner what feels good during self-pleasure, noting when uh, flare-ups might be more frequent, noting your stress levels, water intake, all those, the variety of components that exacerbate symptoms or decrease it and doing that self-care stuff. So I said a bunch of things there, right? So kind of knowing, knowing your body, learning your body, learning what feels good and what doesn't, I would say the pleasure piece of getting on the on-ramp, right? So how do you get yourself in the mood for, for sex? What does that transition from a work day or taking care of the kids or whatever it is that you're doing during the day. And if sex, like more intimacy and sex time is in the evening, how do you transition your body? How do you plan for sex? Oh, this is a big one. I can't believe I haven't even talked about this. We plan everything in our lives. We all got calendars. We got planners. We've got reminders on our phone. We've got lists of things to do. But for whatever reason, people are like, "Mm, sex, I can't plan that one, right? That takes the fun away. And it does not. Even early on in relationships, when people were going on first, second, third, fourth, 10th dates, that's planning. You didn't just randomly show up somewhere 
looking all hot and sexy and feeling good about yourself and be like, oh, this was spontaneous. No, like we plan, we get ourselves ready. We need transitions. We need our bodies to acclimate. Same thing happens with sex. So planning ahead, right? Um, I love this idea of simmering. So starting from the morning, how you talk to your partner, sharing, you know, I really, I can't, I'm looking forward to seeing you later today, right? Or "Mm, there's some options of what I might wear tonight, which one of these might like pique your interest, right? Which one might perk you up kind of thing, right? So flirtation and then communicating about what's on your, on your menu or your script. What might we want to do tonight? Right. These are three things that are on my menu. You want to pick one or two? What's on your menu? Mm-hmm. Right. Again, take getting away from that balancing, staying away from that. This person felt this, so that person has to feel that. Right. There's no obligation. There should not be an obligation in sex. Mm-hmm. And that that leads to communication as well. So again, I just said a lot there. <laughs> Was that helpful? Do you think yeah. I answered? question yeah, okay absolutely. i could like keep going so it's this is like i said this could be like a four you're hour. fine you're fine um i wanted to touch on something you said in the middle of that um how to navigate the early stages of a relationship or just dating in general how can you have that conversation with somebody new yeah well depends on um a, do you think this is a person who, are you really interested in this person? Right. And if they are really interested, if there's a, if it goes both ways, then having that conversation about this is something that's going on with me, you know, and I'd like to share that with you again, we don't get intimacy without vulnerability. And it is a gift to share information about ourselves with a potential partner. So I would say, when you're starting to feel, hey, this could be somebody who I date, right? Or this is someone I'm really interested in. And you're starting to learn about each other, asking them certain questions, them asking you questions, and maybe exploring what it is that each of you like. And then saying, this is an experience that I have. Are you interested in learning about it? Right? Maybe we could spend some time this evening having like some tea and talking about what this means to me. Are you open to exploring this? Are you open to learning about it? Just as people date, right? This is part of that information that we share with each other. Mm -hmm. Right. That that hit that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess probably not viewing your condition or maybe your low sex drive as like baggage. Mm, Yeah. So I'd like to reframe that, right? This is love for you to reframe this. This is an experience I have and I'm working on it with my sex therapist or my therapist, right? It's also nobody's business until you make it, until you would like to share that information. I love Nedra Tawab's book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. It's like one of my books of the year. Another one, Body is Not an Apology by Sandra Nate Taylor. I'm just going to plug those books too because they're really wonderful. But we don't, we don't need to share information with anybody if we're not ready to share it. So share when you feel safe enough to share that info and with the partner who is open to receiving the information. Partner saying, you know, how can I support you? Or how do we move through this together? Right. And then uh, doing that psycho ed piece, but it isn't baggage. This is part of what your story is. We all have components to our story that are less than ideal, maybe, right? It's okay. It's okay. We're humaning. We're all just doing research here. We're, We're doing humaning. the best we can. We're humaning. <laughs> but we are BS idea of what perfection is, or we can't attain 
X, Y, Z. Like we get to show up as this like incredible creature we are. And this is part of the story. It isn't something to be ashamed about. And I'm going to make that step there. What an opportunity for intimacy. If a partner is willing to sit with, with a person in this, what a beautiful opportunity to get to know somebody. Right. And I feel like if they're not willing to do that, then they might not be the person for you. That gives you information, doesn't it? Yeah. Ooh, write that down. (laughs) Gives you information. What is that saying? When people show you who they are, listen. Yes. Yeah, completely. Yeah, that's all fantastic advice. And I think that's really the the main question that a lot of people had who reached out to me was just how to get into those relationships or, or how to navigate that and when to kind of disclose that information. So it's definitely going to be helpful for those people to reframe that. It goes back to often it's like talking about the body and um, pleasure or pain or sex is really delicate, sensitive information often. And so there's no guidebook to when is the quote unquote right time because there is no right time, just like there is no right person. It's following that intuition, right? Um, and then asking for their consent too. There's, you know, there's a uh, there's an experience I have, and I'd love to share it with you if you're open to receiving it. And and I'm happy to walk with you in this, right? And this is also a conversation to have with your with a sex therapist, right? Again, somebody who knows about IC, knows about pelvic pain, knows about vulvodynia, knows about all the genital pelvic pain and penetration concerns that people have who can help walk you or move through uh, conversations like this that suit you, suit the individual and very based on a a client-centered care, right? It is about the individual and their safety, what feels good to that person. Okay. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Where can people find you? Can you only see people in Washington? Yeah, I work with folks who are in Washington. I'm pretty well connected across the U.S. So people can find me to work with me or any of the members of the PNW Sex Therapy Collective. So if you look up Mia Fine Therapy, you'll see my website. Mia F-I-N-E is my last name, therapy. And then we've got 13 incredible therapists who I just absolutely adore and trust with any patient and client. I just like love, love this team at the PNW Pacific Northwest Sex Therapy Collective. Um, we're expanding all the time, um, potentially moving to, to different locations around the PNW Pacific Northwest, but um, you can, you can look up asect.org for uh, a list of certified sex therapists in your state, licensed providers, licensed, like licensed uh, therapists need to work within the state that they're licensed. So um, a person can be in uh, like New York, but I can't necessarily work with them as their therapist. I am more than happy to connect people to therapists who I know um, and trust and collaborate with and, and et cetera. Or you can look up ASEC.org and find therapists on your own. And they'll, you, you know, there are all the websites there. You can research their names and that's where I would go. Okay, perfect. And if people want to follow you on Instagram, what is your handle? Yeah, so we have um, the PNW uh, Therapy Collective, I think is our handle, right? Um, PNW uh, 
therapy collective or PNW sex therapy collective. And mine is miafine.sextherapy. Okay. Awesome. So you'll see miafine.sextherapy and then the PNW collective is on my link tree. Perfect. Well, I will link all of that in the show notes and you're going to have to send me a list of all the books that you mentioned. So They're all on my website. They're all on website. my website. I've got a ton of resources on my website and also on the PNW Sex Therapy Collective website. There are resources and books. So we've got a lot of free resources and the books that we recommend on our website. Awesome. That makes it so easy. I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on and talking about this with me. I know it's going to help so many people. You're so welcome, Callie, anytime. And thank you for the work you do in our world as well. It's really important. Oh my God. You're going to make me blush. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to make sure you're subscribed and following along. If you enjoyed this episode specifically, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell me exactly what you enjoyed about the episode. For more content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Callie K Nutrition.